The strongest stars have hearts of Kaiba. I'm going with the force of forces with me. That's not how the Force works. Well, that starts somewhere. Welcome everybody to the KyberCast. This is episode number 46, recorded 4-23-2020. Again, still during the COVID outbreak, unfortunately. My name is Joe Becker. With me is my guest, or not my guest, my, my partner, Michael Diaz. Michael, how are you? I am excellent, as always, Joe. Thank you for asking. So this week we have, uh, and I'm a bit nervous if it doesn't sound like it already, because uh, we're interviewing <laughs> this week. A bona fide artist, a renowned artist, illustrator. I'm going to say illustrator because he does much more than just what we're going to talk about today. And that is illustrator Matt Bush, who does a bunch of Star Wars illustrations. I'm sure you've seen his work plenty of times through the years. And um, we are super excited to talk to Matt today. Matt, how are you? I am doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks for being here. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. I I First, I want to... Give a shout out to a friend of mine that Matt knows. His name is Patrick Hatfield, who put us together. That's Patrick, right. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Yeah, Patrick and I go way back to college and um, as an illustrator, and, and I grew up in the Livonia area, so I know the east side. Uh, we have a very similar uh, past, I guess, um, Matt, as I looked through your bio, so it's really kind of funny. So welcome. Awesome, awesome. So Matt, how, how do you know Pat then? Uh, Facebook. Uh, Patrick. Mostly. I should say Patrick. I'm sorry, Patrick. Yeah. My bad. My bad. Yeah, mostly Facebook, and I believe uh, like uh, various comic conventions and uh, and that sort of thing. Nice. Yeah, nice. Patrick is a really really good illustrator. Also did some comics as well. Uh, we went to art school together at uh, Eastern, and then uh, I taught as he taught as well at College for Creative Studies. And I know that Matt is an instructor in the art world as well. Okay. Awesome. Are you yeah. still teaching? Yeah, I- uh, yeah, I actually uh, I teach at Macomb College uh, over here on uh, this side of the state, and uh, I u- actually used to teach at CCS as well. That's uh, I got my start there nice. and at the Columbus College of Art and Design uh, down in Ohio. Oh, nice! Yeah, I taught there for uh, at CCS for almost ten over ten years. Oh, rock on! And the in awesome. the graphic design department. Yeah, I started out like so. I'm not going to get into mine too far because I'm much more interested in yours, but Star Wars was a catalyst for me because I was drawing a lot and I wanted to do movie posters. I never did any. You've actually lived my dream. <laughs> I kind of got caught up into a different area. So making that a segue, how, how did you kind of start in, into the illustration business? Well, I um, let's see. I, I started uh, here in the Detroit area, uh, and I went to Macomb College, which is where I teach now. Uh, but here I was just kind of uh, making my own self-published comics and, you know, doing artwork for local rock bands and that sort of thing. And, uh, and I really wanted to get into entertainment. And way back then, 100 years ago, the only way you would ever really be able to do that is to live in Los Angeles. And, uh, 
And I, it was my dream to go to Art Center, which is where a lot of my uh, favorite Star Wars illustrators and uh, and everybody who had worked on Star Wars and all this other great stuff had gone there. So, uh, so that was kind of my uh, my mission to go out there and do that. And that's where I got my start. Ironically, for working on Star Wars, um, living in Los Angeles actually had nothing to do with that. And th- there was a lot of cool. There was other movie work that I got in Los Angeles. Uh, that was great. But um, as it turned out, I started working for the Star Wars role-playing game and a lot of the other Lucasfilm licensees. And I've done some work directly for Lucasfilm as well. But Lucasfilm is based in San Francisco, which is about eight hours north of Los Angeles. And so all of these connections to Star Wars actually had nothing to do with uh, moving to LA. So after a while, I was kind of like, yeah, after a while, I was like, man, what am I doing? You know, at Los Angeles, and I love Los Angeles. The uh, the creative atmosphere is is just awesome, but it's, it is, uh, you know, cost of living is a lot higher out there. And so once I started uh, um, kind of making my way, I started thinking, man, if I could uh, do this kind of work, but live back in Michigan, you know, with family and friends and where cost of living is a lot lower that would be uh, that you would could be eat better ideal. food. <laughs> yeah, you can eat better food, man. Yeah. So, <laughs> as a kid, did you start out always drawing? Were you was it something you were always interested in? Because I know you did some music too. Reading up on on your your biography. Yeah, yeah, and I it definitely was Star Wars that uh, that definitely made that a thing. You know, and obviously, and you guys probably remember this as well, but. You know, back before we could, you know, everything was online. And if you ever wanted an image of something to look at or you can watch, you know, Mm -hmm. videos on YouTube and heck, people are pirating movies and all this stuff. Back then, the only way you could really relive your excitement of Star Wars was to draw it, you know, and we'd collect, you know, trading cards and, you know, we had Mm -hmm. the action figures and everything. But uh, um Star so were you were you goofy like me and kept all the boxes for your Star Wars figures so that you can draw, like the logos oh, and the course. different things that are in the back? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, everything. I was uh, I was definitely a pack rat with uh, with all of that stuff. <laughs> I don't know what's happened to so, it since any but... of that stuff. Well, I Michael, mean, you're different. Well, I, I admit I I am not an illustrator. I when it comes to drawing, I am not good at that. Now the written word. I can do all right, but yeah, I had a couple other friends that they kept all their boxes and all their cards from their action figures. And then, you know, nowadays, you know, if you, if you got the Millennium Falcon in 1983 and still have the box today, if you decided to sell it, obviously it's worth a ton of money now just because you have the box, which mine's been in the dumpster a long, long time. Yep. Yeah, it was really about the artwork. I mean, every every box, you know, you just for me, I just when you see it, when I saw a logo or I saw a design, it's just I wanted to keep it um, for for reference. I mean, you couldn't find as, as Matt was saying, you know, finding that reference was tough. Or when you get the, you know, I had the uh, Story of Star Wars album that came out uh, not so long after, and had a booklet. And man, I tried to draw the heck out of that booklet. Oh yeah, I remember that. You know, I think I think for uh, I'll turn that off. Uh, so. Uh, I think also for uh, collectors, uh, the reason why a lot like why the boxes are worth so much, I think there's this really neat 
especially when we get older, if there was like a toy that we never got that we always wanted when we were a kid, and if you're able to acquire that and it, you know, in the packaging, it's like suddenly you're a kid and, and you're, you're opening this yeah. toy that like you always wanted, you know? Yeah, I can um, see that. For sure. I can see that. I really, I really like w- one of the things I really geek out on, and I only have a couple of them. But have you guys seen the uh, those gentle giant action figures where they're jumbo size? Yes. No, In fact, I don't. Uh, get I remember when Gentle Giant started out because they, I want to, I don't remember which Star Wars celebration it was, but it was one of the early ones. It was the one that was in Indianapolis because they were still so small yet that they partnered with Dark Horse, who at the time had the Star Wars license. And okay. they shared a booth with them. And they, you know, because they had just gotten off the ground with doing the whole scanning of heads and whatnot and making action figures. But yeah, the stuff they've done, I mean, they've exploded since. That was good, you know, 15, 20 years ago. But I know what you're talking about, and they do some amazing work, General Giant does. Yeah. And it's just so cool because the action figures are are... I don't know, they're like twice or three times the size of what they were when we were kids. But because we're adults now, when you're holding it in your hand, it really is like you're a kid again because, you know, <laughs> your hands are so small compared to this right. this action figure, you know. <laughs> so cool. So the first, the very first paid Star Wars project that you received, what was that? Uh, that was for the Star Wars Adventure Journal. It was uh, a um, it was it was a book. It was um, kind of like a book of short stories, and uh, it was published by West End Games. And that was uh, 1994 uh, was when I got wow. that gig, and uh, so that was my start. And then um, so it and that was, was the dark times back then. There was no Star Wars happening. It's right before, obviously, the the prequels started coming out. And so yeah, the, the yeah. only thing that kept things alive were books. So you were one of those that that helped keep the stories alive. Uh, yeah, I guess in a small way, I guess I was a, a small part of that. But um, yeah, uh, you know, there was the the uh, Dark Horse comics as well. Yeah, there definitely wasn't as much, but. Um, but kind of the neat thing about it is uh, most of what was coming out then uh, was was quality. Maybe those those bendums mm-hmm. or whatever they were called, the Star Wars bendies, <laughs> those weren't very. Uh, yes, I remember those. But uh, I remember those. But yeah, but uh, yeah, it was really cool. Um, it was it was a, a very exciting time. Um, uh, you know, there were rumors that you know that. Uh, George was going to start working on the uh, prequels and then, you know, the special editions came out and uh, um, it was, it was the dark times, but for, you know, those of us Star Wars fans that kept the faith, it was, uh, it was real exciting because we could tell that uh, um, it was going to explode and it was going to be big and no one knew it would be as big as it is now. I mean, Star Wars is bigger than it's ever been. Yeah, it's crazy. And how, how did it feel that first one? You feel like you did you feel like you accomplished a goal, or just it just kind of happened? You're like, oh wow, I got it. And you know, how did yeah, that work it, out? It it was great. You know, it was funny because the first book that um, I got hired to work on, it was just five small black and white illustrations, and they weren't even of like major characters. Like one was like a rebel commando, and uh, one was like two Twi'leks that run a bar or something like that. Yeah. You know, nothing nothing too <laughs> exciting. 
And uh, so I remember when the book came out, I would show all my friends and they would flip through the book and they would say, oh, did you draw this awesome, you know, Millennium Falcon? And I'd say, no, no, keep flipping. And they'd say, oh, did you draw this Boba Fett? No, no, keep flipping. <laughs> and then there's this small, it's like the size of a stamp and it's like a rebel commando. And I'm like, you see this? I drew that. And they're like, wow. Oh, did you draw Darth Vader with a lightsaber? No, no, no. That's, you know, but, uh, but it was great because the next, uh, uh, the, the next book that came out, instead of doing five, I got to draw seven and uh, two of them were like half page size. And uh, one of them was R2-D2, you know, so that was exciting. And each nice. book that came out, they uh, they gave, they were happy with what I did. They gave me a little bit more. And eventually I got to do full page illustrations and then I got to do color. And, um, and then through there, a lot of the licensees uh, work together. So you mentioned like Dark Horse and Gentle Giant. So um, West End Games was working with Bantam Books, and that was actually how I got to do my first uh, book cover for Bantam Books for Tales from the Empire. That's a that's a pretty big one. Yeah, that's with Boba Fett, right? And that's Boba Fett, and that <clears throat> became a New York Times bestseller. So that was uh, that was another really great milestone. That's going to be an awesome feeling to see your book cover like everywhere at least uh, back then people bought books still it's not just it wasn't all kindle so yeah it's uh it's it's great and it's still cool to see they've re-released it uh under the yeah. legends banner and they still use the artwork for that in fact i got um i got a paycheck when they when they redid it as legends like there was no reason why they had to pay me again but uh well, good. Uh, they decided to pay me again, and it's it's neat. There's different versions in different countries around the world where it's the same artwork, but like the the design layout is different. So it's kind of neat to see uh, how it looks around the world. That's so cool. Wow. That's so yeah. cool. So, at what point in your career did you feel like Charlie from the end of Charlie and the F Chocolate Factory? When 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 did that happen? <laughs> Gosh, you know it's 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 been such a a slow. Um, a slow uphill kind of thing. And um, part of it is because um, the way things roll out, like when I worked at, for, as an example for that book cover, um, I had finished the artwork like nine months before the book actually came out. So by that time, there was already other projects that I was real excited about. I mean, it was awesome to see that that book in stores. And in fact, that was the first way that I saw it. I didn't even know that the book was out until I was walking through the mall one day. And there was this <laughs> huge cardboard uh, standee of Boba Fett. And at first, I didn't even r recognize it as my own artwork. But it was this uh, this giant, like, life-size Boba Fett cardboard cutout. And... Uh, and so that was that was just incredible to see. But I was already working on, uh, you know, this. It, it was it's, it's kind of an unfortunate thing where sometimes I don't take enough time to smell the roses. But um, mm -hmm. but at that time, it was just like, oh man, this is wild! I can't wait until people see what I'm working on now. You know, and there's always right. uh, there's always something new to uh, look forward to. So um, trying to uh, smell, you smell the roses now, though. Did you have a specific medium in your worked in? I know when I, for when I was really gunning to be an illustrator, it was really like marker and colored pencils was was what I used the most. I just liked using that. But what do you what do you normally work with? Uh, typically, I work with uh, acrylics and color pencil as well to do the detail on top. Mm -hmm. And um, that's a medium that a lot of 
Star Wars illustrators will use. It's what Drew Struzan uses. And it's just got that kind of uh, movie poster look. So part of the reason I do that is I just like the way it looks. It's that cool, uh, just that larger than life movie poster kind of style. But the other reason why a lot of illustrators use that is it's very uh, forgiving and you can make changes easily. Now you can make changes even easier with uh, Photoshop, but um, right. but it's just very versatile. It's, very, um, it's a relatively quick technique where you can... Uh, uh, just get a lot, hammer out a lot of details uh, very efficiently. So uh, that's kind of the the technique. So has technology ch- altered a lot the way you work then, or are you working uh, much differently now? Are you using um, tablet drawing or Wacom's, or what are you? How are you doing it now? You know what? I'm doing most of it the same. Most of what I do still gets illustrated by hand, um, but everything gets scanned in, and more and more I'm. Um, uh, I've done a little bit of work that's all digital, but um, I really do prefer to work with my hands. So everything that I do gets scanned in, and then I'm really, uh, uh, and especially if there's anything that needs to get fixed, any changes are always easier uh, for me to do in Photoshop. But I find it very difficult to um, sit at a computer, stare at a blank screen, and just start creating artwork from scratch. Um, I just right. like working with my hands. So, uh, that's just kind of the way I've always rolled. Yeah. For me, it's been a long time since I started drawing. And when I got uh, an iPad pro, I started drawing again. That thing works really well for sketching, not like yeah. what you're doing, but, but it's a really, it really brought my, um, my, my, you know, passion for drawing back. And I did a bunch of sketches for a while and I've kind of subsided for a while. We've been busy, but uh, I did find that the the iPad brought me. It doesn't feel the same. I mean, there's nothing like the drag of a pencil on a you know a toothy paper that I like, you know. But um, but it, it has helped like get me started again. So it's it's interesting where that might be going down the road, you know. Yeah, and it's cool that you've got the undo button, which is uh, which is <laughs> is is awesome. And in fact, I uh, a few <clears throat> years back I co-developed an app uh, for the iPad called Interactive Sketchbook. Um, oh wow. Uh, actually with my brother in Grand Rapids. And uh, um, so that's a lot of fun to do too. So uh, yeah, iPads are amazing. Super cool. So you, you mentioned Drew Struzan. Struzan, sorry, I didn't say it right. Um, obviously, if people in illustration, they, they know there's a documentary on him. Um, and there's a, you, have, you have a film too that you did as well, right? For yourself? Yeah. There's, there's an illustration a, uh, that I see? Yeah, there's, yep. It's called Illustration Nation. And that's more... Um, it's just kind of uh, that followed my uh, my travel adventures during the, I think like 2007, 2008. Uh, I kind of did a world tour uh, of the convention scene. And uh, oh, cool. it, it was more, it was almost kind of a dark time for me. I was going through uh, uh, a personal breakup, you know, and all this and that. Sure. But, uh, but it made for, uh, uh, it actually is a really funny funny video to watch uh just lots of uh lots of partying and uh um <laughs> and having fun but uh uh it was the best of times it was the worst of times <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome. when you so, uh, go ahead michael no go ahead joe it's fine no i was curious you know when you're when you're getting given a project let's say a poster for star wars or any other project how much reference do they give you ahead of time or are you allowed to go through like the Lucas 
um, database? Like, I need a really good picture of Mark Hamill in a certain way. How much? How do you work by reference? You know, it really depends on the project. If it's a project for an upcoming movie, usually they will, they being Lucasfilm, will give uh, reference. And um, to keep security tight, a lot of times what they'll do, they'll watermark it with your mm-hmm. name on it, uh, which I think is great. That way, if anyone slips or you know shares it with a friend or something like that, and it gets out there, they'll know exactly who uh, who you know who let the <laughs> reference go. Um, so uh, a lot of times they'll do that uh, ahead of time. Um, uh, so it's been fun for a lot of the you know the the uh, movies I've gotten to see what a lot of it, sometimes I don't even understand at first, like, wow, this, this person looks neat. Are they a a bad guy or a good guy? Like, what is this thing? You know? Um, So that's been fun. And then other times, um, sometimes depending on the project, uh, I just roll with the reference I have or the reference that I can find uh, online or, you know, in all the books and trading cards and stuff that I have. And then sometimes, um, I'm inspired to do something new and, uh, and I'll just ask Lucasfilm, uh, cause they've got a, a database, they've got an archive of so many photos and everything that people haven't seen. So there have been times where I've contacted them and said, Hey, do you have a good, like rare, uh, princess Leia where maybe she's holding a gun and, uh, you know, she looks concerned or this, you know, something, something that we haven't seen a hundred times over. And, uh, a lot of times they, uh, they're able to uh, help me out with that. That's cool. So, I mean, that, I mean, go ahead, Michael. No, I was just curious. So you mentioned, you know, some of the different characters you, you've been able to work on. I know you just mentioned Leia. So who's your favorite Star Wars character to work with or work on? In terms of drawing? Yeah. Yeah. Like when, when you get, like they say, we need so-and-so who's, who, who are you hoping they say? Who's the one that you're like, yes, I want to draw that. Uh, you know, I think it's, it depends on, on it's, it's a sign of the times. So, uh, when revenge of the Sith came out, I, it was all about general grievous, you know? Mm. Um, if you ask me now, who am I most excited to illustrate? I would say the child, you know, <laughs> right. baby Yoda. Right. So yes. It's usually just kind of a sign of the times, but in, in general, I, I, I have a fondness for, uh, for robots, you know, the droids and, um, anything with clunky armor. So like, you know, stormtroopers, clone troopers, bounty hunters, um, uh, that kind of stuff I think is what really excited me as a kid. And so to be able to, uh, to kind of find that childlike wonderment and geek out on stuff, uh, is where it's at for me. Are you doing some storyboard work with them still or or anyone right now? Or you, you still do that kind of job? Uh, the only thing I've been doing storyboards for is the, um, I don't know if this is a good time to segue into Aladdin 3477, but it's the, uh, it's a, it's a motion picture trilogy that I have written and directed and I have store it's, it's three feature films and we just finished last year filming all three movies. Um, it took five years nearly to the day to, uh, to film them all. But I also, in addition to the other hundred jobs that I took, uh, to (laughs) make this happen, uh, I actually storyboarded every single frame of, uh, of each of the movies. Holy cow. Yeah. So tell us about that. Tell us about that. 
about about the the is it a trilogy? Is it one story that is carried through? It is one story. It's it's kind of. Um, uh, I mean, it, it, the feel of it is a lot like Star Wars, but in terms of it being a trilogy, the structure is a lot closer to something like Lord of the Rings, where mm-hmm. the first film is kind of like uh, Act One, you know, and the, and the second two movies kind of follow that. It, so it's not like um, three individual movies that like, you know, have a nice tight uh, ending wrapped up in a bow. Um, so it is right. one big epic story. And uh, it's the Aladdin tale, you know, essentially, but um, it's much bigger than that. There's a lot more characters and um, it's set in Asia and uh, all throughout Asia. But there's um, if you're a fan of, of Star Wars, it is just filled with robots and cool uh, hovercrafts and um, uh, lots of action and uh, an intrigue Um so uh, it's something very, uh, very dear to my heart. But uh, but it was uh, it was definitely uh, crazy making this thing, and uh, we're in post right now, and it's just looking awesome. I can't wait to uh, start sharing uh, stuff with everybody. I think uh, I think a lot of people are really going to dig it. What's so? You know, I want I don't want you to have to give it away much. I mean, I'm, I'm at uh, if anybody wants to check it out, it's at Aladdin three four seven seven dot com. Yes, that's right. Like and Aladdin is two Ds. Sometimes people get confused yes. with that. So, and it looks really cool. And I'm curious, how did this become a passion project? What What about it that that? And this is coming from you. So something was burning in you to write this. What What was uh, What's that spark? Was it seeing the Aladdin cartoon when you're a kid? I don't. Or when you're not a kid? No, it, it actually. I mean, I've always, I always thought Aladdin was you know was cool when I was growing up. Uh, and thought it would be neat to see that as a live action movie, but that actually had nothing to do with it. Um, a lot of my inspiration when I was younger, it wasn't just to become a star Wars illustrator. My, um, what really, uh, what I thought was interesting was George Lucas. And I just love the idea of, uh, making movies and, um, what really inspired me about George Lucas, uh, even when I was growing up, is watching behind the scenes yeah. how many things would go wrong making that movie. And then George, like every time he had a hurdle, he would find a creative way to make that work. And I always thought that was interesting. Even the idea of Yoda, um, you know, they had this problem where when they made Yoda, it was this puppet. And so when Luke was training, uh, to be a Jedi on Dagama, they were like, what are we going to do? We've got this puppet, like Yoda can't run around and do all this stuff. So it actually became part of the character where he just hung out in a backpack on Yoda's back, you know, because he was too pompous to to actually do the work himself, you know, but it just made for such a great character. And so um, I was just really fascinated with, uh, with George's creativity and how they did everything. And um, there's just so much, a lot of people don't realize how much went wrong making those movies. Like uh, when you're watching those films, there were so many times that uh, R2-D2 broke down. So they would just tie a rope to his feet. So if you're ever watching a shot where you don't actually see the bottom of R2 as he's rolling around, that's probably because someone's just pulling R2 on a rope to make him move along with everyone, you know, as they're walking forward. (laughs) Um, But it's just great. I I, I just, I love that. I've always been real inspired by that. So my dream always when I was a kid and when I was in college, I really wanted to make my own um, 
science fiction saga. And um, it was never meant to be Aladdin, but uh, I started crafting my story and several years into it, I started turning it into a, uh, a comic book for a while. And then there was the fateful day that I realized, oh my gosh, my story is very similar to Aladdin. It was almost like Aladdin in space or something like that. And that really kind of uh, bummed me out. I didn't want to, uh, um, I didn't want people, I, I don't know if anyone would have recognized that, but um, but I saw it. And so that was uh, kind of enough. So I tried changing a couple characters here and there, but it just wasn't the same. And then when I realized that Aladdin is public domain and anyone can um, write an Aladdin story or create Aladdin artwork, um, you can't use anything that Disney has done because now that's their own. So, uh, unfortunately I couldn't have a boo in, uh, in my version of it. And, uh, but anything that is in the original, um, Aladdin tale is fair game to work with. And, uh, so over time I kind of got used to the idea and I thought it would really be interesting to do, uh, an Aladdin story that instead of, uh, taking place in the past takes place in the future. And, uh, I just thought that was really neat to do and other people might find it uh, wild as well. And uh, so that just kind of became the thing. So I got to ask, you mentioned that there's a lot of robots in this and you already mentioned that, you know, within Star Wars, that's kind of like your favorite thing to do, the robots, the clunky armor, that kind of stuff. So it kind of begs the question, in this film that you've done now, are you doing practical effects with the robots or CGI? It is. Almost the whole movie will be practical effects. Um, uh, There's a little bit of of digital touch-ups, and there will maybe be a shot or two that was just too hard to do uh, practical. Um, But but yeah, all of the robots, and they look great. They're all, you know, puppeteered, or there are some that actually were remote control where we were working with... uh, you know, little motorized parts and stuff. But that was actually one of the funnest things for me to do was to uh, break apart like old radios and old toys and uh, just start super gluing pieces together and start creating my own robots very much the same way that they would do it for the uh, Star Wars films. Yeah, I think they call that what, kit bashing? They do like the old models and whatnot. Yeah. So that's awesome. I mean, personally... I prefer, I mean, I think a lot of people, it's easier with practical effects because they actually have something to look at when they're acting and whatnot, and it seems more real. I mean, don't get me wrong, CGI has come a long way in the last 20, 30 years now, but, you know, a movie like Moon that Duncan Jones did, Mm. low budget, but he used practical effects. Well, low budget for Hollywood, so... I have to say, you have me very intrigued, the fact that you've used practical effects on your own film, because that, it just feels more real, you know? You know, it's funny, there's, uh, there's a couple people that have seen a couple shots of, uh, of the, uh, of the film, or I'll show people sometimes on my phone, and one of the first things they say, they'll see shots of, like, the robots, you know, uh, floating around or doing this and that. And the first thing people say is, oh my gosh, who is doing your CGI? That's amazing. And it's like, uh, that's not CGI. That's, that's real. And they're like, oh my gosh, it looks great. Well, I'm, of course it looks great. It's you, you're looking at something real that has real light on it. And, uh, you, you know, you just can't beat it. 
Um, it's funny, an, an interesting thing that I notice with a lot of my students. So a lot of my students grew up in the uh, the 90s and the early 2000s. And so a lot of the kid movies that they grew up with or the science fiction movies that they grew up with had a lot of heavy CGI. And CGI, there's this thing, I'm sure you guys are familiar with the term, but it's called the uncanny valley where it looks real, but something's just a little bit off. It's either a little too smooth or it's a little too, you can just tell something's not right about it. And so you kind of like, know it. Yeah. Like Tarkin in Rogue One. Yeah, exa- well, exactly like Tarkin in Rogue One. So um, so a, a funny thing. I was good with Tarkin. The Leia had a little problem for me, but Tarkin, I was okay with it. For yeah, me. yeah. But um, so a funny thing is um, – uh, I grew up, uh, E.T. came out when I was a kid, and I loved E.T. E.T. was cute. But a lot of kids today that watch the movie E.T., they say, oh, my gosh, it's a horror movie. They are terrified of <laughs> E.T. And I say, why? And they're like, E.T. is so scary. Are you kidding me? And I, I think the reason why that is is because they're used to their kid movies. When they, If there's a movie today with like an alien that hangs out with a little boy, the alien, obviously, you know, 99 times out of 100 is going to be CGI. And they're just used to that uncanny valley. But when they see E.T., it's like this real, it's this real alien that's sweaty and you see the light glistening off it. It's, I mean, if you're used to seeing your movies with your CGI cute aliens, I can see why that would scare the crap out of kids to like <laughs> see this real ET, you know? So is, is all three of them going to be released at once? Did I miss a release? Can I watch anything from this yet? Or... So, well, I don't have a distribution deal, so I don't know exactly how everything's going to play out. But what my what my goal is, what I would like to do is to, uh, similar to Lord of the Rings, I would love to have each movie come out a year apart. And so what my goal is, what I'd like to do on my end, rather than just focusing on the first movie, get that out, and then have people wait for the second one, um, I want to, as best as I can, kind of finish all three and that way, when they are released, I can really um, kind of promote each one. And if there's any licensing opportunities, you know, kind of have fun with some of that stuff. And um, I remember for the uh, the Lord of the Rings movies, are you guys fans of, of Lord of the Rings as well? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan. Mike, Michael, not so much. I'm a huge fan. I've read those when I was a kid. And um in a prior podcast, I said, you know, like when Jurassic Park came out, I read the book prior and I didn't really think the movie was that great. It was fun. But the only thing I took out of the Jurassic Park was, oh, wow, they can make Lord of the Rings now because you can make almost anything digital. Yeah. That was the only thing I got out of Jurassic Park. Oh, my Park. gosh. So funny. Well, the thing that uh, – do you remember when the um, Lord of the Rings movies were coming out that uh, Peter Jackson would do those mm-hmm. production diaries? Yes. They were like – they're like 10 minute, you know, kind of behind the scenes, how they were making stuff. They were so interesting, but both when he did the Lord of the Rings movies and also when he did the Hobbit movies leading up to that first movie, he had these production diaries that were so much fun. You could tell he was having a riot, but then as soon as the first movie came out, there was such a tight deadline to finish the second and third movie that he, he wasn't able to release as many production diaries. And when he did, you could, he, man, you could just tell he was so burned out and he just wasn't yeah. having fun with it anymore. 
And so that was something that I kind of told myself, man, if I, uh, um, if I do this, I really want to try to finish all three, um, and then put them out, um, as opposed to doing it that way. Cause I could see where there would be, as soon as you pull the trigger on that first one, now it's just, man, the second one, the second one, the second one, you know, with, uh, with no breathing room. So, uh, so that's kind of my, uh, my mission is just to get, uh, to get all three, uh, in the can and then, uh, share them with the world. And then how do you, how, what's the next steps? You got to shop it to a distributor. Do you have to go to, is there, is there conventions for that? Or you just got to like know somebody what's the next step for that? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of different ways that you can do it. Um, one is, uh, film festivals is a great way to kind of attract attention. Um, Kickstarter is actually a great way these days to attract attention. So I'll be doing that as well. There's also film markets that are kind of, uh, like what you were saying that are kind of like film conventions where you can go and, uh, uh, try to move your, your film there. But then there's also just, uh, working with agents and, uh, and also directly with studios and trying to, uh, to trying to get your, your picture sold. And so there's a lot of ways to do it. I will probably be doing all of the above. And uh, for me, I really believe in um, in the property. And I kind of see it not just as movies. Not that I think this is going to be as big as Star Wars or anything even close to that. But I do see it potentially also perhaps being um, licensed products. Uh, there's definitely going to be books and trading cards that I'll be able to uh, do but I'm hoping maybe there'll be some collectible action figures or statues that, you know, there, there might be an audience for, um, perhaps t-shirts. There might even be a video game or something like that. You kind of never know what's gonna, what's gonna take off. So my hope in landing a deal, it won't necessarily be going for the deal that throws the most money at it, but rather the deal that takes care of it the most. I, I do have a, a really good friend at the Sci-Fi Channel. I think he's still there. Oh, and rock on! So I mean, I'll, I can throw him your way, but I don't know. You know, yeah. he's a he's he's an artist like you and I. He's the head head designer at Sci-Fi oh, Channel. Great. So awesome! Would it be cool to have that? Just even have a, a cable station buy it, or do you really want a theatrical release? Well, I mean, obviously, in my uh, in my dreams, I don't know if this if this would would ever happen, but uh, you know, having grown up seeing movies uh at the theater um that's my dream although who knows what's happening with our world and if movie theaters uh will be able to recover from what's going on uh right now or what the future of of uh theaters are just in general you know now everyone's all about uh streaming and uh so who knows but uh but my uh, mission obviously i'd love to have it uh have it in theaters first is what uh, is what i would love but who knows? So you mentioned, are you so you're completely done with principal photography, correct? Yes. Or so, yeah, uh, yeah. How deep are you into post then? Um, pretty good. So the first film, the the first rough cut was two hours and forty five minutes, um, and no one wants to see a two hour and forty five minute Aladdin movie, <laughs> not even me. So, um, so I've been cutting that down. I'd like to get it. Uh, either at or below two hours. And right now it's at uh, two hours and three minutes, I think. So I've been working to cut that down. And I'm uh, about, uh, I have a rough, rough, rough cut of the second movie. And I think that's close, 
also close to three hours. So that obviously needs to get tightened up. And I'm about, um, I'd say about halfway through, through editing the third movie. Um, so I kind of go back and forth between all of them. And, uh, and I think it helps. I think, um, working on one kind of strengthens like kind of how another one feels and like, uh, it's been helpful after editing the first movie to kind of work on the other ones and then go back to the first movie after having not looked at it for a while and then seeing like, Oh yeah, I can tighten up right here and this will feel a little bit better this way. And, uh, um, to see it with fresh eyes has been uh, super helpful. I gotta say, Matt, I'm going to, I kind of wish you did the, uh, Star Wars sequels, or they did it this way. I mean, not to—I'm not trying to steer it back to Star Wars, but it's oh, interesting yeah. to me. Like we, yeah, Michael yeah. and I have talked a lot at nauseum about the sequels, um, good, bad, or indifferent. I mean, but it seems like you have a really good idea of where you want it to go, where you want it to be from start to finish. And I'm not quite so sure that the sequels did that, you know. And it seems like you're really putting the time in <laughs> to uh, to maybe do that. I mean, really? we can what? talk about it a little bit. Why would you, why would you think that about? The sequel trilogy. I mean, well, we're not trying to get you to bite the hand that feeds you at all, but I mean, you are a fan too. Yeah. So I, I'm assuming that maybe you ha- might have maybe some yeah. qualms or some notes or something that the other average fans have as well. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I thought the um, the Force Awakens I thought was was great. I thought it was fantastic. Um, there are complaints that it kind of follows the. Uh, the structure of a new hope a little too closely. And I would say, yeah, perhaps it does. And it's, it's not a perfect movie, but for the most part, I think it, um, it brought star Wars back and Mm -hmm. made it alive. It made it fresh. And so, um, uh, I enjoyed that movie quite a bit. Um, I'm not a fan of the last Jedi. Um, Matt Matt and I are going to get along. We're going to get along so good, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, but there are some things that people don't like about that movie that don't bother me mm-hmm. as much. Uh, some people uh, really think that there's like a feminist agenda or something like that. I don't, that's not something that really uh, I see or that bothers me about it. I think the biggest thing is just the portrayal of Luke, I think was um, uh, just really off. Mm-hmm. And in general, I think um, Ryan Johnson is an incredible filmmaker. He's an incredible writer and all of his films that he has done that aren't star Wars, you know, he's always about uh, taking what the expectations are and throwing them out the window, which is a lot of fun for his other movies. And I know some of the greatest moments in some of the greatest moments in star Wars are when there's like a big twist or like a huge revelation that people weren't expecting so I get that, but it really feels like that movie from start to finish on purpose took everything that J.J. Abrams had set up for him to to play ball with, and he just crumpled them up and threw them to the wayside. And it just, um, I think what was left over um, for the final movie was um, was kind of just a mess. And um, And then I have to... I have to give J.J. Abrams credit because I feel like considering what he had to work with, um, I was surprised that uh, The Rise of Skywalker was as good as it was because um, I didn't feel like he had very much to chew on. 
Yeah, you're, but, uh, you're in the same wheelhouse uh, as me, Matt. Exactly. I feel 100% the same as you do. And I, I, I like Ryan Johnson. I mean, even some of his shots are paintings. I mean, beautiful cinematography in, in Last Jedi. Oh, yeah. And, and it wasn't even the decisions um, about Luke that necessarily bothered me. I understood those. It was it was the blatant, like, I think, I'm not going to say bad writing, but like writing of the whole middle that just kind of threw me. There was just, there was there were beats missing in the writing that that really bothered me of of from canto bite uh, like i didn't you know in a, in a space chase that kind of yeah. just helping but w- i mean we beat that to death here i just kind of wanted to get your take uh, as a star wars illustrator and and fan and you know and writer and filmmaker that's that's what's amazing to me so as you're writing and, and putting your films together how much do you try to learn from those other makers i mean you're you're doing it i'm not doing it Michael and I talk about it. You're doing it, so you you have, yeah. you, you have much more insight than, than I ever could. Well, it's um, yeah, I, I mean maybe, but it's uh, but you know, everyone. I think that's kind of the cool thing about fandom is everyone is in is obviously entitled to their opinion, and we all dissect this you know this stuff. And I think that's part of the fun. I don't think it makes some people get up. Some people get upset, you know, and star Wars can do no wrong. So anyone that is not a fan of the last Jedi, isn't a true star Wars fan or something like that, which I think is ridiculous. Um, uh, yeah, you know, we're all crazy. allowed to have a voice and stuff, but I definitely, I'm inspired by, uh, by everything that I see around me. I get inspired by watching music videos. I get inspired by obviously, the star Wars films and, you know, uh, great series on, on Netflix and, uh, and just the world around me. I try to take it all in Uh, music, uh, um, everything that I watch or, or ingest, I try to, um, part of it uh, is enjoying it for what it is, enjoying the story and enjoying the entertainment. But I think the other half of it is, um, really taking a look at, wow, it was really cool how they designed, you know, this certain scene, how the colors kind of went muted and, uh, you know, how they did this. And it was really great, this beat, how they, they mentioned this part in the story earlier. And that was just setting this up to bat, you know, this scene later. It's, uh, it's fun to kind of dissect uh, the, the movies on a whole nother level, you know? Oh, of course. And that, that kind of leads me to our next question. So, You've got to wear a lot of hats, like you said. You know, you've been you you are an illustrator. You're a professor. You're an author, writer, director, filmmaker. You, you've you've really kind of run the gamut. I, I know you've done comics in the past, so you've mm-hmm. run the gamut of geek experiences. So if let's say gun to your head, <laughs> you have to pick only one of those professions. Which one is it? Gosh. Um... We're here with hard questions. Yeah, I, you know, I would say probably if I had to pick one, it would probably it would probably be my first love. Just illustrating, just drawing, is um, is a really cool thing. Um, writing and movie making is is really cool, but it's it's difficult because there's not a lot of uh, instantaneous gratification where when I do an illustration, I could draw something right now, take a picture on my phone, I could upload it, and I could have hundreds of people telling me how neat it is, and it feels <laughs> good, you know, where, you know, this this Aladdin yeah. thing that I've been doing, um, it's been nearly 10 years 
that uh, that I've been working on it. And I've, you know, I've put little bits out here and there, but no one's really seen a lot, you know, like actual footage and stuff. So it hasn't really built a fan base. There hasn't really been, uh, it hasn't been a rewarding experience kind of in that sense yet. And it's very difficult. It's just, it's a lot, a lot, a lot of work. Um, I love writing. I love, you know, all of these things are a lot, a lot of fun, but I think, um, uh, illustration probably with a a gun to my (laughs) head, if there was only one that I could do for the rest of my life, um, I would probably choose that. That's awesome. Go with your first love. Yeah. So have you, Oh, go ahead, Michael. So, No, just so another question for you then. I I know you've put a lot of, you've mentioned your passion and and the time you've put into this movie, your your Aladdin movie. And it it sounds, you know, it sounds fantastic. Now, my question is, you you said you've let little bits and pieces out now and then and people have seen parts of it. Um, I don't know if you remember or if, if you even saw this, but before they rebooted Battlestar Galactica, Richard Hatch and a bunch of the old school Galactica people, they went together and they filmed a short film that was kind of like, we could bring Battlestar back. And then they used that and had like a 10, 15 minutes of footage to say, this is what we envision. This is what we could do. And that they used that to shop it around. And then obviously, you know, it went in a different direction. But um, do you have like a, a sizzle reel like that or something that you're working on or... Uh, I don't know how you're going to sell the film. I'm not one to know how one sells a film. I'm just quite curious. Yeah. Do you have something along those lines? I There is a, a sizzle. There's actually two sizzle reels that I've put together. One was just to show um, we did a presentation at Full Sail University a couple of years back. And then also there was another one that I put together for Star Wars Celebration. And um, so we had, um, we had a booth there with uh, – with actors and uh, some of the props and then, uh, and then people could watch some of the footage there. Uh, and that was really fun to do, but um, it'll probably be an actual kind of like a trailer. And and the things that I have now, those, those sizzle reels were very trailer esque, but it was before the movie was finished filming. Um, and before all, you know, a lot of the newer visual effects were done and stuff. So, those sizzle reels, I don't really want to get out online uh, yet or at all because they're not really representative of the entire uh, kind of the vast scope of everything. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the that first sizzle reel, yeah, we were only like a year and a half into filming. And so there was just so many more cool sets that we had done since then. And so um, the idea is once I do kind of put a sizzle reel out there, uh, in, you know, trailers and all that fun stuff. Um, hopefully they, uh, they pack a really good punch and, uh, and wow, a lot of people. Yeah. That, I mean, I was thinking the same thing as Michael, when he asked you, I mean, technology has come so far. I mean, is there a place on YouTube for you to test some things out? I've, I've watched a couple of star Wars fan films on YouTube that were fantastic. There's an Obi-Wan out there. That's really super good. Um, I was just curious how that medium might be able to help you um, it, it, you know, garner some some uh, followers or, or get people to you know chime in or, or put in with Patreon or something like that to help you get it out there. It's an interesting time, I guess. I could say for independence. Yeah, it's yeah, it is. Um, 
so yeah, there'll definitely be a lot of that on YouTube that I'll be that I'll be doing. There's going to be a Kickstarter. Uh, I think that's going to be a really fun thing to kind of you know interact and go back and forth with fans. Um, it's uh, it's tough because it's a it's it's been a passion project for so long, and the story is so tight that um, uh, it's kind of hard to explain without having seen it. But there's not there probably wouldn't be a lot of back and forth where if I, if I started sharing mm-hmm. some things for feedback, you know, from fans, um, uh, there's just kind of a vision for what, for what this is. And as an artist, I kind of just need to get that mm-hmm. out and hopefully people think it's amazing. And if people don't, you know, and of course, like anything, I'm sure there'll be people <laughs> that'll be like, Oh, it was good, but it would have been better if they did this yeah, yeah. or, it would have been better if Fiji was a monkey, like like the real <laughs> Aladdin instead of a robot. Which you know, again, Disney does. But, D- um, Disney's famous for taking you know copyright free stories. That's how they do that, right? I mean, they didn't create those stories. They just do mm-hmm. this, what you have a license or what's what's the term? It's not copyright free, but you, you um, public domain. Uh, it's uh, I I just said it. Public, yeah, uh, public yeah. domain. I mean, that's what that's they're they're famous for that, and and you know. Uh, you've got me excited. I mean, I, I didn't even, you know, before coming into this interview, I definitely would love to keep that going when you get it out there and have you even back and talk specifically about this from start to finish. Maybe even have some of the people that were in your film uh, on the show as well. You can oh, totally I would love that. that. Yeah, I'd that'd be great. Um, I do have one question. I do have a question. Yeah. Have you watched the new Clone Wars by chance? Are you into that at all? I'm into Clone Wars. I have not seen uh, the the newest season, so I'm a little bit behind. Yeah, give yourself a uh, treat and watch that. The I mean, just from an illustrative or, or that point of view, like it's so much different than even the last series. The the, the they really like honed in on composition. There's some beautiful shots in this thing. Like I say, shots, yeah. but it's drawings, obviously. But it is so cinema uh, cinematographic. I guess you could say is the word. I don't know if it is or not, but it's beautiful. Beautiful. You should give yourself a yeah. treat if you if you have if you have Disney Plus and watch that. Yeah, super. Good. I have it. I just uh, oh, it's I uh, it's it's on my list. There's so much. There's so much good television now. It's hard to keep up. You know. Absolutely. Let's see if we. Can, oh, I did want. Oh, sorry. One more thing I want to ask. I know. I know. I don't want to take all your time. Um, no, today's cool. coming out on on Apple Plus as a Beastie Boys. Uh, this is not sci-fi at all, but I know you do a lot of stuff for music, and you did some stuff for the Beastie Boys. Oh, yeah. There's a documentary coming out today. Tell us a little bit. I'm just curious about how you did work for them, or was it through their label? Did you talk to any of the artists that you actually uh, music musicians that you you worked for or did artwork for? Yeah, for Beastie Boys in particular, that was for a company called Gas Entertainment, and they mm-hmm. were one of the licensees. And I'm trying to remember yeah. what it was even for. I think it was just something that that was on their website. It was on their, uh, it was on. I think it might have been on their main page. But it was this artwork that I did of, uh, of the guys, but they looked like babies, and they were sitting in a bowl. Um, oh, nice. But I actually have that. Uh, I have that framed uh, here at the house. Um, that was a lot of fun to do. But I've done a lot of different artwork for various bands and music artists for their merch that's mm-hmm. you know that you would see at concerts you know on t-shirts and bandanas and and all that crazy stuff um in some cases i've gotten to meet the band and hang out with the band in some cases i just get to be part of email back and forth you know right. which is 
sometimes kind of fun, like, oh my gosh, I just got an email from, you know, so-and-so from the, you know, from uh, Gene Simmons from Kiss or something like that, which is, uh, which is crazy. But, um, and then in some cases I, I I don't get to meet with them or, uh, or have any contact with them at all. So it just, it just depends on the gig. Yeah. I've only been lucky one time. I did uh, Steve Vai's logo and it's on all his equipment. Oh, no way. That's awesome. Yeah. I did that logo and worked with him and you could not meet a nicer person than Steve Vai. Like, yeah, I I just saw an interview with him. uh, I just saw an interview with him online. Um, Something was in my feed where he was, uh, I guess he's been studying uh, like Eastern philosophy and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting to hear him, uh, talk about it, especially in light of kind of everything that's going on in the world yeah. now. Um, it was just really interesting to hear uh, hear his thoughts on everything. Yeah, he's a super nice guy. I mean, my youngest son didn't believe me that I did it. And when he came here to play, I, I called uh, his manager and, and said, hey, I, I want to buy tickets, but I just want to see if I can talk to Steve. And he didn't even hesitate. So we went and saw him and he met my son. It was super, it's just Man, so when you work for a great person, when people have a great attitude, it's a great, it's just a great feeling when you see your stuff out there and you know that person's a great person. So, yeah, that's awesome. That's my only claim to fame. I say it here and that's, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's super, super rad. Super cool. So, Matt, you, you've, you've been, like I said earlier, Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. You've got to work on so many different, you know, geek or nerd specific or just genre pieces but on the same side of things you've also been able to do work with various different music labels or artists and stuff like that so you've really had quite a breadth in your career as to who you've worked with so i gotta ask who or what 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 property or what artist would you like to work with that you haven't yet like you know, if you had a, a bucket list, like I've done Star Wars, I've done this, you know, I've done that. I've worked with, you know, um, you know, Poison or, you know, all these different acts. Who's on your bucket list? Who would you like to work with next? Gosh, um, that's a great question. For a long time, um, I was really interested and I was trying to pursue it um, and I never had any luck with it. I was really into that movie, The Fifth Element, that came out um, with, uh, you know, Bruce Willis and uh, yeah. Mila oh, Jovovich. Yeah. Yeah. But, oh, yeah, of uh, course. And uh, so I wanted to do, uh, originally, um, the director wanted to make a trilogy of those movies. And even though worldwide uh, that movie did very well, for some reason it's all about the U.S. And it just didn't do that great here in the U.S., um, so they stopped making them. They didn't. They didn't bother making uh, sequels, uh, which I was so bummed out. I just really, really loved that movie. So um, I was trying to see if I could get the rights to um, do the further adventures and kind of do it as a graphic novel. Oh wow! And uh, and I pursued that hard for years, and I just never. Uh, I was never able to uh, to get any answer on that. It's a uh, it's a French production company that owns it. And, uh, and I was just shocked because there's not, it's, I feel like that movie is, um, it's kind of embraced fairly well in fandom, yet you don't see a lot of t-shirts or action figures or, um, or anything else really licensed with that. I think it just, 
you know, it didn't do well in the, in the U S and they just kind of dropped it like a hot potato and moved on to the, uh, onto their next thing. And I just, I feel like that's kind of a, an untouched property that, um, uh, there could have been so much more, you know? And it's crazy too, how things have changed. I mean, you're right. When that came out, the U S box office was everything, but now, I mean, not nearly the same caliber of film, but Terminator, that franchise keeps getting chances to restart itself. And even <laughs> after when Terminator Genesis came out, it didn't do that well in the States, but it did really well in China for some reason. So it actually made enough money. They talked about doing a sequel to that film. Obviously they didn't, and they went with Dark Fate instead. But it's just, it's interesting to see how things have shifted. Now, I mean, you can have a hit that's a hit worldwide but not so much in the U.S., and they still might make a sequel now. So that's just interesting how things have changed. Yeah, so it is. Maybe there's still hope for you in the Fifth Element. Yeah, I, there, there very well could be. Who knows? That would be, uh, that would be wild. That would be wild. Um, gosh, what else? Uh, what would be my dream thing to work on? Um, you know, I'd say another, I've gotten to do some really cool comic book stuff, but one of the, one of the itches I have yet to scratch is I've never been able to do Star Wars comics and I pursued Dark Horse for a long time. And, um, uh, for some reason they were just, they, they just weren't into doing, uh, painted comics, even though painted comics is kind of, um, if you consider Dark Empire, the, uh, the awesome watercolors that Cam Kennedy uh, would do. That was kind of what launched the resurgence of Star Wars comics. And then they just, uh, they just weren't into it way back then. So that's something oh, yeah. that uh, I feel like one day before I die, I would, uh, I would like to illustrate a Star Wars comic. Book. Yeah, I think you, it would be a lot of fun. I was, I was going to ask you that question. Maybe you can get in and uh, the uh, new High Republic stuff that's coming out. If you can try and get a hold of people earlier, because it's all new characters. You would have no, it'd be, it'd be yeah. interesting um, looking at your style, I mean, well, I don't know if you have a, a set style. You can probably do whatever. You're probably malleable to do whatever you, you wanted to. You, you know, you look like you know, you're really good. So, uh, but that might be an interesting uh, way to go because they have they have two series. I think of those coming out. One that's more, I'm going to say adult, but not necessarily. But and then there's like a, a, a tweener one that they're doing at the same time. But yeah, that, that might be a cool. The the whole High Republic thing is interesting to me because it's all new territory. There's going to be books, probably enough covers for you to do like. I would really hope you can get in on some of that stuff, maybe. Call yeah, your friends. That would be wild. That would be really cool. Call yeah. your friends, Matt. <laughs> um, one more thing before we let you go. I, I, I'm remiss. I wanted to ask you when you when you when you were talking about your career early on, and you were just like doing a couple of things here, they were little small things, and they became bigger and bigger. I was wondering, did you get a chance to watch? I think it's on Netflix. It's um, Dungeons and Dragons Illustrators. It's like a, it's a documentary. Oh um, no. You've got to find it on there. I can't, I cannot think of the name of it right now. Uh, my wife was laughing at me because I was watching this. I love that as a kid, D and D the monster. I would draw all the monster manual stuff and all, oh, yeah. all those things. And those guys started just like you did, man. Like, like, Oh, I did this little drawing here. Then Gary Gygax called me here. And they started doing all these illustrations and you had like these four or five main illustrators of all those talk about the illustration career. Uh, and it's on Netflix. Yeah, oh, I'd like to. I I actually know a few of those artists, so uh, I I have to look. I have to look that up for sure. Yeah, so check that out. Um, first of all, you know, I want to thank you for your time. We we, we usually kind of go an hour. I want to thank you so much for your time. It, it's uh, I can't thank you enough, man. 
to, for coming on the show. Oh, rock and roll, man. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you, guys. I do want to make sure that everybody gets a chance to check out Matt's stuff at mattbush.com. That is M-A-T-T-B-U-S-C-H.com. He also has a great store, mattbushstore.com. You can find it on both of those links, I'm sure. And you can buy a lot of cool stuff that Matt has on his website. Uh, there's some cool posters. I know I will probably get one of these myself uh, coming up soon. Um, so please check him out there. Uh, also check out his Aladdin movie. And that was Aladdin, what was it again? I had it on here. Aladdin 3477. Aladdin3477.com, two Ds in Aladdin. Uh, check out what he's talking about. We're looking forward to it for sure. I, I'm totally looking forward to it. We, we were talking about Dune last week, and now I'm kind of like, wow, Dune and Aladdin, like, there's some cool stuff going on. I'd love to see your uh, stuff out there. Um, and the uh, the Aladdin movie takes place uh, during when it's the 1,500th anniversary of Star Wars. Oh, see, there's a little tidbit. Yeah, nice. <laughs> oh, I, I see that now. I didn't, now that you say that, yeah, 30. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's funny. That's awesome. It's always there. That, that, that wasn't intentional. Sure, but, but uh, I see it. <laughs> after I thought about it. Like, hey, Roll with it, Matt. Take it. Yep. All right. Um, <laughs> Michael, uh, where can they connect with us? Well, as always, they can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Just look for KyberCast or The KyberCast. That's where we uh, are most interactive with our fans. So, if you want to leave a comment, leave it there. We're also at kybercast.com. You can leave a comment there as well. Cool. And you can find Matt Bush, too, on, on Instagram. Uh, he's got tons of stuff on there. If you want to see quick uh, stuff of the, his illustrations, check him out on Instagram. Matt, again, thank you so much for joining the Kybercast. It's, uh, it's been a true pleasure. Yeah, thank you, awesome. Matt. Awesome. Thank you, guys, for having me on. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Kybercast. I have spoken. What a piece of junk. Boring conversation anyway.